Choose not to live in a world of filters. Realize your mistakes. Set the foundation for your success. Get some wins. Knucklehead Podcast. Good to go. All right, so we've got, uh, we've got Sean Bussey with us this evening. Uh, go ahead and drop your questions, your comments, uh, you know, all your, your legal concerns. Uh, this, is, this is where you're going to want to drop them right here. But this is my buddy Sean. John, appreciate you taking some time. To, Glad to be uh, here, brother. Excited. This tonight. Yeah, this is fun. This is, uh, this is a good time. It's funny. If you should see behind the scenes, it's like the 20 minutes preceding something like this. It's always interesting to kind of uh, to see each one of them materialize. It's a little bit different. We had Tim Kennedy on the podcast um, back in March. So we did episode 15, and we, were, we had literally the quietest studio in the entire place, the quietest room, and for some reason... Whenever, um, whenever that day, it was like the loudest it had ever been. And for some reason he thought it was, it was just, it's, it's funny. You always are scrambling trying to make things work. So it is what it is, but hey, hey listen. Tim's uh, in the room, you let him do whatever he wants. Just about. I'm yeah. stopping that Somebody's got to hold him in check just a little bit. But it isn't going to be me. <laughs> <laughs> he is, he's a big dude. Um, all right, so uh, what we have here tonight is we have, this is a special treat. This is behind the scenes. We're, we're bringing you, the audience, live into uh, a recording for a couple of reasons. One, because uh, in, in this world of filters, we've got a ton of them that are out there. There's cable news production, there's uh, you know staged things that take place. It's difficult to build transparency uh, with an audience, right? So Sean's a buddy of mine. Uh, we've known each other for about a year. Uh, you wanna hear something funny? My son was literally drinking out of his dog <laughs> at, the, at the 4th of July party that he had uh, last year. I so forgot all about that. We, uh, we actually have, uh, we have, we have, a, we have a, a genuine friendship. And so what happens is, is in this case, um, there's, not, there's a lot of fabrication uh, that takes place, uh, whether you're talking about media, whether it be movies or whatever the case may be. So there's, there's, we want to just kind of knock down some walls here. And uh, one of our mottos at Knucklehead Podcast is, you know, you don't have to participate in the world of filters. You know, you can just be yourself. So uh, that's why we are doing this today. Uh, we are going to be live here for probably the next 40 minutes or so. And uh, it's going to be fun. We're going to have a blast. So I don't think I started your timer, but that's fine. Don't worry about that. Um, I got gotcha. you. Oh, yeah. So he's got the timer for us. So this episode is actually going to be coming out uh, on uh, iTunes or your favorite podcast listening app in a few weeks. But for everybody who's watching, for everybody who's listening, let me just get a welcome. Welcome to another edition of Knucklehead Podcast. We are with us today, uh, one of my buddies, uh, Sean Bussey. Uh, Sean is uh, Sean's an entrepreneur. Uh, he, he will modestly tell you about his, uh, his time as an athlete, uh, a college athlete. And then at the same time, um, you, do some, you do some producing, right? So you do some some. Um, I'm part of a TV show that's coming out pretty soon. I can't, I'm not at liberty to say what channel or what the name of the show is yet, but uh, very excited about it. It's been a long time in the making. You can tell he's an entrepreneur by that, by his holding, withholding. <laughs> let me, let me create some, some anticipation around it. So. All right. We, we got to hold up because I, I got a hundred pound dog trapped in okay. a 12 pound body here. Oh, you're good. It's not being cooperative. Oh, he's fine. And she's wanting to play fetch as we're trying to do this. That's, that's, that's part of how this works. That's part of how this works. <laughs> Um, no, but so yeah, entrepreneur, kind of you run the gamut in terms of experiences though. You have had none, just trial by fire pretty much. Oh, I love that. Okay. I got, a, I, you know, my short minor league career, I always say it was the best 800 bucks a month I ever made. 
when that was over, I didn't know what to do. I mean, all I'd ever done was baseball, bartending. You know, I just, I, I stayed in that world as long as I could because I loved it. I mean, I, I couldn't hit enough batting practice. I couldn't take enough foul, fly balls. I loved it. And then that was gone. It was like, what do you do? So I got a job. I mean, it was a pretty good job, sales job. And I started looking at it when I got there. And I said, man, I could work this job for X amount of years to get to this level, to do a job that I don't want to do, but it pays more money. So I can get to the next level to do another job. I want to do even less, but it pays more money. And I put, I worked that job for 10 weeks. Let's, let's back up a second. This is, this is where sometimes we end up losing some folks. Um, we're talking to an audience of knucklehead Marines, right? And I say that as a term of endearment because I am one, right? Uh, I, I got it. Which, before we even go any further, yeah. thank you and thank all the other knuckleheads out there. Appreciate you guys. Appreciate your service. Absolutely. Well, this is never, never settled apparel. JB, uh, JP Denell, um, he's a buddy of mine, Echelon Front. It was funny. He was, we, it was a podcast that we did and we, we dove right in and uh, the guy did not miss a beat. It was like a solid take. It was awesome. Um, so, Let's back up a second. Let's talk about specifically uh, your minor league career. But let's let's start from the beginning. Let's start from the beginning, like even before your minor league career, because you you played on. I don't know if people would, like most people would be familiar with like the West Coast offense, right? Right. And the run and shoot. This was the run and shoot. Most people would not even know what that is. No, most people can't even spell Andre Ware, let alone know who he was, right? Or David Klingler, or any of those guys that you played with back in the day. So. Studs. Let's start from the beginning and tell people kind of what your, you know, what being an athlete was back in the day and kind of how that all started, and then we'll just kind of go from there. Well, I just I've always been athletic ever since I was a kid. It just one of those things that just came natural to me. Baseball, football, basketball, not so much. I didn't play that past junior high. Okay. Football and baseball, it just Texas or where? where Yeah, Texas. It just clicked. I was good at it, and I just kept getting better. And coming out of high school, I got into some trouble in high school, and I had to. Kind of a dictator principal that decided he was going to make an example of me and did, did a pretty good job of it actually went went to court against the school board it was uh it was quite a, it was quite a story okay but uh you know so here i am 16 17 years old and i'm having to go in here in front of the school board i've got an attorney i mean it was what was the, the events leading up to that I oh i got kicked out of a game here kicked out of a game there not games i was playing in but it was like everywhere i went you were causing a scene I wouldn't, I wouldn't cause that scene. I'm not going to sit here and tell you I was a, you know, I was an altar boy because I wasn't. But when you're one of many doing something and you're getting singled out on multiple occasions, yeah. there's something going on there. Okay. Um, so, so you were getting in trouble. What was happening is, is you were going to a, an extracurricular activity. You were, you were causing uh, a little bit of a distraction away from what was people yeah in the stands of a basketball game. And they were like, game. that is conduct unbecoming of an athlete. You need to sit. You no, it was conduct unbecoming of me. Okay. Because I was the only one. It was all athletes in there. I was the only one getting removed from these places. Yeah. So, I mean, there was... Um, and again, I take full responsibility. Uh, Jocko, Leif, if you're listening, extreme ownership. <laughs> but cool. I was getting singled out. I was being treated unfairly. And at this time, I was the number one hitter in the state. I mean, I was... I mean, it was early. How old was 16, 17 years old? Let's see. I was... This was my junior year, so I was knocking on 17. Wow. And I was hitting like seven something. I mean, you know, we were like maybe eight, nine games into the season, but I was sure. Somebody had to be on top. That's seven out of 10 times uh, for batting averages for those folks that 
that don't follow baseball. So proceed. My bad. Dude. Go ahead. Well, to put that season in perspective, I finished hitting 535. I never dropped lower than fourth in the whole entire Houston area, tops in the state. Um, nobody else could say that. I was the only one who stayed in there consistently through the whole season. So then your um, your vice principal, obviously you're dealing with some administrative uh, pushback there. You had to go talk to some the school board at the same time that this whole distraction is going on. Um, and you got recruited to play like baseball and football during this time? Or like what, what, what was the... Uh, yeah, I was... Oh, God, my junior year in baseball, like I got all great at Houston in football, but in baseball I was being recruited... I mean, I was getting letters from Texas, Arkansas, Oklahoma. I mean, I think five of the eight teams in the College World Series that year uh -huh. were sending me stuff. Um, you know, just letters doesn't mean anything, but they're not sending them to just anybody. And so I was doing this. I went to Conroe High School, which is just north of Houston, about 30 minutes. And at that time, we were 5A. We were, you know, we were good. Yeah. So I was doing, I was doing it in Texas, which enough said there. In the greater Houston area, enough said, at the biggest, one of the biggest schools. So, wow. it, so was, it, was, it was good. I mean, I, had, I, I learned how to deal with the media real early. So that, that's, that's interesting because my, my brothers had played, uh, my background is, is athletics also. But the reason why it's, uh, I bring this up is my, my brothers were, were pretty good athletes in football in the greater Houston area at that time. You know, late 80s, early 90s. Uh, Deer Park High School was, you know, a pretty good football team. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, they talked to the media, which was really bizarre because I ended up playing high school football in Nebraska. Uh, you know, for all of those, uh, all of those fellow Cornhuskers out there, um, and we we didn't talk to the media at all. <laughs> did you have media in Nebraska? Yeah, they sure did. <laughs> they sure did about the football team, the college football team, not the high school footballs. Uh, it was just not a big deal. Um, but anyway, let's fast forward. So it, what, what's happening is you're being recruited. You're evaluating some different options. So your, your background kind of comes from highly competitive, uh, competitive athletics, and you just wanted to be a pro baseball player? You wanted to be a pro football player? What sport I wanted to do. Well, this is what I learned when I got to the University of Houston. I'll tell this story. Okay. I think I've told it to you before. Sure. I was a very, very good football player. Okay. I got to U of H and realized how good I was not. Okay. I mean, we, we got to fifth in the country. Those guys were studs. Yeah, they almost won a national championship. Yeah, they were studs. And, and, you know, I quickly learned. I'm like, you know what? I could play professional baseball. I'm legit. I'm not getting anywhere near the NFL. So how far did you take your, your baseball career? Then? What, what, what happened? Uh, well, when I left U of H, um, I just went through two a days there. I didn't, I didn't even register for classes. Okay. I just realized, I'm like, you know what? I'm at the wrong school playing the wrong sport. Sure. But by then, it's so late. Yeah. What do you do? So I wound up at a junior college, okay. um, and they were happy to have me. I don't want to sound arrogant, but yeah, you know, a junior college getting a hitter that was tops in the state, they're happy. And then one day I'm farting around College Station on a moped, going over to see my girlfriend, slowing down to turn. And I mean, I was just about getting ready to turn, and boom, some girl hit me from behind in her car. Oh, you got Thank God it was a Hyundai Excel. If it was a truck or something higher, and got me in the back. Dead, paralyzed, um, but she got me. My ass is sitting here on the seat. That car hit me just below, so it hit the it hit the moped, and I was almost at a dead stop. So it knocks it out from underneath me. I go flying back through the windshield, slam my head on the roof of the car. She panics because she sees my fat ass coming. You know, just slams on the brakes, sends me flying the other way, and I mean I'm through the air like this. I hit the ground like this. 
So all the skin on my hands, you imagine hitting the pavement, was just off, bleeding. My hamstrings, my ass, my back. And I mean, I'm just, I'm laying in the emergency room and this, this nurse is cleaning out all the scars and she's like, you, can, you can't clench, she's trying to clean my ass. And she's like, you can't clench your butt cheeks. I'm lady, you're putting, you're putting the hydrogen, or uh, rubbing out or whatever the hell you're putting in there. You try not to. Was out all the gravel and pavement and everything else? Yeah, I mean, it was just blast. Gosh, that is so that screwed up the baseball career. That put me out for over a year. So next, you know, I just, I went back up to Illinois. My grandparents had a farm there. Okay. So I'm like, I'm just going to relax. I'm just going to, I'm going to rehab. Wound up at a junior college there. I thought my baseball career was over. Okay. Uh, I wanted to still play football, but that. That ship had kind of sailed. Yeah. So I wound up at a junior college just to take some classes, see what, you know, figure out my life from there. I was 18. No, I was 19. Where in Illinois is this? Uh, you're so from Nebraska. Illinois, the S is silent. Sure. <laughs> where, where, where is it? Uh, it was a junior college called McHenry County Junior College. It's in Crystal Lake, Illinois. Okay. My, my grandparents had a farm, a little bitty town called Harvard, right on the Illinois-Wisconsin border. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we had horses and cows and, you know, just get to go out there and ride horses and kick back. Wound up, actually, one of the players on the baseball team there saw me in the gym, and it was like a first-year program. Yeah. And they asked me if I ever played, and I was like, well, yeah, I played in Texas. <laughs> I'm not playing for you guys. Interesting. And then, it, you know, I was like, wait, what else are you going to do? You're medically cleared to play. Let's go play. Sure. So I got all conference two years there, wound up at Northern Illinois University, where for whatever reason, we, we weren't a good team. Right. I had 12 at-bats in over 60 games. The, the coach there just didn't, for whatever reason. And you could say, and again, full, I'm taking full ownership of it. Um, I was good, and we were on a bad team. And it was so funny because our coach got so mad one day. I'm not even going to give him the honor of mentioning his name. But he was reaming us up, dropping F-bombs. And he goes, we're the worst effing team in the worst effing conference in the country. And he's trying to have this, you know, motivating moment, but he had lost us. Nobody respected him. Yeah. And I nudged my buddy and I'm like, hey, if we're the worst team in the worst conference and I'm the last guy off the bench, does that make me the worst player in the entire fucking country? Yeah. And the whole that side of it, they just blew up laughing. And he's, what's so funny? Yeah. But um, so I barely played. And then yeah. he wanted me to come back. And I'm like, no, why come back here? So you can put me to sleep another year? Well, Less than a year later, I was playing minor league baseball. That's what I was about ready to ask you. So. At some point, there had to have been a mental click that um, there's there's a there's a there's a hidden talent. So in that in that recovery from the the accident, there had to have been a point in time where you know yes, you you had the foresight to go to the junior college to go see what you were going to do with your life, but there had to have been a mental click saying, hey, listen, if there's ever an opportunity for me to go make the most of this and, and capture what it is that you wanted to do. Um, there had to have been a point in time where you were just struggling with something and you just, you made up, made up in your mind, this is, I don't care how much struggle there is, I'm gonna make this work. Well, you, I think it's just, and it's not like nowadays where, you know, you have Facebook and Instagram and there's, you know, somebody championing your cause or wanting to enlighten you here. You've got a college degree on your cell phone, you can find anything motivational. Yeah. Back then it was just kind of something that you just, comes from inside and you just kind of intuitively know that okay where'd you get that from where'd you get that from oh man i think my 
you know, my dad was kind of definite no bullshit kind of guy. Okay. He was a mix of John Wayne and General Patton. Okay. And unfortunately for me growing up, it was more General Patton. Yeah. <laughs> he was okay. on my ass all the time. But it was kind of, you know, like in the Cowboys, the little kid's telling John Wayne, he goes, I tried. And he's like, try and don't get it done. Yeah. Dad was kind of like that. He's like, you can you either have excuses or you can get results. Yeah. And you just, it's funny because now, have you ever seen Rocky Balboa? Yeah, movie. Yeah. yeah. So you Google Rocky motivational speech. It's like a four minute speech. And I listen to it like three times a week. But, you know, he's telling Still to this day, to this day, I mean, the movie, not the original Rocky, no, it's like Rocky yeah, Six. Yeah, I know what you're about. yeah, so when he's sitting there telling his kid, he's like, you know, I'm going to tell you something you already That's know. That's how winning's done. Yeah, the world is a cold place. It ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. And I learned at a young age that life ain't fair. Right. And if you sit around waiting for the, you know, the fairness police to come around and make it even, make a level playing field for you, it ain't going to happen. Right. You, you know, like he says, you know what you're worth, go out and get what you're worth, but you got to be willing to take the hits. And I knew, yeah, it was a bad break getting in that car accident. I saw, I knew guys that I was better than that were playing at higher levels. Yeah. Uh, but I also knew there was guys better than me that didn't get what I did. So, so I love, being it, good enough ain't good enough. So that's, it's interesting. Um, there was a fight last night in, in the UFC, right? Dustin Poirier and, uh, and Eddie Alvarez. And Dustin Poirier talked about um, Eddie Alvarez after the fight. He said, that guy's an old dog. You know, he was doing a guillotine choke, which means that he was choking him. Uh, well, I said the guy's laying on top of him. And he said that the guy was digging his finger in his ear after the fight. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't calling him out. He wasn't saying that it was bad. He just said that that's kind of how it was. And it's interesting hearing you talk about uh, kind of this throwback old school mentality, which quite frankly is very applicable today. Right. And rather than using that experience as an excuse or a reason to complain about it, he just was pointing out the obvious, calling information what it was. And he decided to knock out or several, several minutes later, he decided not, or he was able to knock out Eddie Alvarez. So it's, it's interesting the way that you prefaced that statement. And then, you know, your backstory really kind of set the table for um, I don't want to jump right into entrepreneurship, but I mean, it kind of set the table for entrepreneurship for you. It planted the seed. You know, there's that old saying, you got to dig your well before you're thirsty. Sure. Yeah. I didn't even know that well was being dug at the time. Okay. I mean. So it's safe to say even that coach, as crappy as he was, he actually modeled for you exactly how you did not want to be whenever you were given the opportunity to leave. To leave. Right. And when he asked me, because, you know, the end of the season bullshit yeah. meetings that he's trying, he's trying to paint a pretty picture on our crappy season. Mm -hmm. Um. So he's giving me the motivational speech to come back. And I just, I said, no, and you know, he wasn't disappointed. He didn't care. Sure. But I told him flat out, I'm like, why would I come back here and rot another year? I'll go take my chances. You know, kind of like LeBron. He took his talents to South beach. I didn't know where I was going to take mine to, but I knew, I knew they were good enough to be used somewhere, not rotting with that crappy program. You rolled the dice and took a bet on you. Mm -hmm. is what I'm hearing. It sounds like, uh, Sounds like that was a good move. Well, for a couple of reasons. One, you could you had the opportunity to kind of spread your wings and go elsewhere, uh, which is good. But so, what does that have to do with entrepreneurship? I'm curious. What does that have to do with you? It just uh, as I was doing that, I start, you know most people are, they do all their studying in college, yeah. and then they quit growing afterwards. Yeah, you know they quit reading. I didn't do shit in college. I was there to chase girls, drink beer, play baseball, okay. and playing baseball was the most important one to me. 
it wasn't until a few years after college when I started like getting into more, you know, reading more and just the information overload that was coming. And I read a book called Rich Dad Poor Dad, Robert Kiyosaki. And that started getting me into thinking more entrepreneurially and you know, about money and you know, where you put it. And I mean, just all these things that were just so foreign to me. And then just kept reading, but I was still playing baseball at the time. I was still chasing that dream. Sure. And then when that was over, true story, my career officially ended three days before my 27th birthday. I call it a career, it really wasn't, but I had about 250 bucks. I was up in Chicago. I knew this was as far as I was gonna get, but it was a chance to play. I had a lot of family and friends up there. It was a chance to play in front of kind of the home crowd. Yeah. And so I'm like, let's just go back for one more year. No expectations, you know you're not going any further. Let's just have fun. But take all the pressure off, just go have fun. Sure. And I got released before I can even think about it. So the smart thing to do would have been to just pack up what I had, what little money I had, and just go back to Texas and figure it out. I thought it'd be a better idea to go with my buddy to the Riverboat Casino. And about 170 bucks into it, I'm like, I got about 80 bucks. Left to your name. Thank God gas prices were like 90 bucks, 90 cents a gallon. Or whatever. <laughs> I, I wouldn't have made it to the state line. Uh, this is the epitome of a knucklehead decision. It was, there's, there's it was a, a knucklehead decision. I should have been in the Marines. Yeah, that's awesome. No, well, it's knucklehead is a term of endearment that we we just you know we we use to to let people know that nobody's perfect, right? Well, just far from jar, it. Jarhead is a Marine, but knucklehead is a hey. Listen, there's there's a there's a bunch of there's a bunch of folks out there that I I, I'm, I want you to finish your story, but it, let's let's back this up just one step to say. The reason why it's important to embrace a story like this, the reason why it's important to um, uh, to recognize that everybody is capable of screwing up, everybody does screw up, and everybody who has largely accomplished anything significant in their lifetime fails consistently. And they the, the, the only thing that they've done, they, the only thing that they do that's different between guys like you and me is they just they increase their rate of failure, and they just they do it at such a high level that nobody you don't have to be perfect. I mean, that's what, that's what essentially what don't be beta means. Don't be beta means, listen, you're going to be that knucklehead 27-year-old year with 250 bucks to your name going and blowing 180 of it at a casino uh, thinking that you're going to hit it big when in fact what you need to do is you just need to get to work. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and it's, uh, you know, my favorite quote of all time comes from Calvin Coolidge. Okay. And it says, nothing in the world will take the place of persistence. Talent will not. The world is full of unsuccessful men with talent. Genius will not. The world is, or unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. It says education will not. The world is full of educated derelicts. Persistence and determination alone are omnipotent, which goes back to the Rocky quote, take the hits, you, you just keep going. I mean, nobody's immune to life. I always say, my friends all the time, I always say, it's just life. Deal with it. Yeah. You know, now other things, you know, when you get sick or an illness, a cancer, that's different, but it's still life. You, gotta, you still have to figure out how to deal with that as best you can. For sure. Because like, I mean, you have one of two choices: you can kick life in the ass, or let it kick you in the ass. Well, the common denominator is you're, you're, it's going to kick you. Yeah. So it's like, how do you respond when it does? Absolutely, because it's going to. And that's, I mean, that's really just the difference between winners and losers, happy people and unhappy people. It's just that mindset where you know, like I, I, I lost almost, I invested almost four hundred grand into deals that I haven't seen a nickel back yet. Three of those deals, I already know I'm, I'm done. That's, that money's gone. One deal can still be, which I believe it will be, will still be the home run. But I look back on it, I'm like, God, the majority of my life, 
five grand would have made a huge difference in my life. Now I'm just saying you just you invested almost 400. I mean, it just, it's just, it doesn't even register to me because I've never had that kind of cash before. But as soon as I got it, yeah. that was the, back to the rich dad poor dad. That's the first thing I learned about money. What most people do when they get credit cards or money or any kind of spending power, they go out and they buy liabilities instead of, you know, to buy a pool, a motorcycle, watch, whatever. Go out and buy assets. Let the assets buy the liabilities. For sure. So that's what I did. Turns out I should have bought the liabilities. I'd have a lot more fun. But <laughs> <laughs> well, you had plenty of fun from 19 to 27, it sounds like, too. So. Yeah, I'm still having fun now. I'm 47. I feel, I mean, I feel better than I ever have. And, you know, looking at I'm going, the be I mean, the best things in my life are yet to come. There's no doubt in my mind about it. Well, there's, there's um, you know, there's truth to being able to, um, you know, set your goals and work tirelessly to make them happen. However, there's also some merit to being able to recognize when a failure happens before it completely dominates you, right? right. So there, there was, if you, if you go back and look at your time in the, in the, in the minor leagues, do you wish, do you wish that you would have spent some time evaluating and say, Hey, listen, I could have quit two years earlier. I wish I would have had the mindset, the wherewithal. I mean, we all do <laughs> who, you know, 20 years later, wouldn't wish that they knew what they knew then right. or knew now what they knew then. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm sitting here thinking of everything about it, what I could, and I'm not just talking about coming up with the next Uber or Facebook before somebody else did. Sure. Just having a maturity and mindset. And, and you know, you know me, I'm the most immature 47 year old you'll ever meet, but an immature 47 year old is a pretty mature 30 year old. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I like the way you look, I like the way you look at uh, it. I'm a glass half full camera. I'm going to paint a picture that makes me happy. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, I made it, I'm like any kid, you know, I made a dumb, I make dumb mistakes. And I, I look at these kids now, I, I look at like, you know, like when Alex Rodriguez or Ken Griffey Jr. came up, you know, 19, 20 years old in the big leagues playing with men, future Hall of Famers. Absolutely. And I'm sitting there going, you're 19. How do you not wet yourself in that situation? And most people, and you're, and you're going to all-star, you're, you're succeeding. Yeah. And I, I tend to do that. I, I, age is a big thing for me. I always look at, I look at what people have accomplished at certain ages okay. and you go, oh my God. I mean, Jerry Jones, when he was younger than me, owned the Dallas Cowboys. Right. You know, Mark Cuban, when he was younger than me, owned the Dallas Mavericks. Yeah. Mark Zuckerberg was the youngest billionaire ever. But I mean, you'll beat yourself up comparing yourself to those people. Well, Ray Kroc and, you know, uh, and Carl Sanders. Yeah, how come we don't pay attention more to that? When I mean, we look at him succeeding late in life, we're yeah. thinking, oh, God, I'm a failure because I haven't done this yet. Well, the fact of the matter is, is we, we live in a society where instant gratification is, it's not just the flavor of the week. It is what it is. I mean, we're, we're on a live video for a podcast that's not going to get published for another three or four weeks. And it's only because we, we need something now. And not only do we need something now, we need something yesterday. And we want the, it to be perfectly customized to every, you know, we want somebody to read our mind and give us what it is that we want before we even want it. Right. Right. I mean, we're largely, uh, it's human nature. Well, largely what you talk about with Uber and those, those companies, those, those were solutions looking for a problem for a period of time. Right. And then now it's like the tail wagging the dog in so many scenarios. So everybody can go out and create a business in their brain. If they're, if they're a college kid and they're, and they're with it. So. Well, I mean, we do live know. in, we do live in a great time where, like I said, we're, we didn't have access to this earlier, sure. but there's people that the generation before us and the generation before that, that didn't have access to stuff that we did. That's true. I mean, that's just life. Yeah. Um, you know, so you just, you, I try not to, the people that know me the best, they all say, you're, you're way too hard on yourself. Quit beating yourself up about this. Yeah. And I'm like, 
all right, you're, you're right, but I'm going to keep doing it because that's what keeps me going. It just, because like I said, the biggest thing I learned from baseball is being good enough ain't good enough. There's so much that factors into it. Yeah. I'm a, you know, my business partner now, I'm, you know, once a week we sit around and we talk and we're like, okay, how can we, we, we try and figure out ways to put ourselves out of business because yeah. somebody else is trying to do that. You know, but, you know, kids today, I mean, you have Shark Tank, I mean, you have Internet, you've got everything you need right here. Which, by the way, plug for my cubbies. <laughs> I'm sure it doesn't do it nice. Oh, yeah. But, you know, there's just, there's, there's no excuse to fail. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's no excuse not to try. We're always going to fail. Always but people fail. are afraid to fail, and that's what stops them. I mean, I saw an interview with Mark Cuban. He said maybe all of his investments on Shark Tank, he might have broken even. Yeah. The brightest angel investors, the best angel investors are hitting, what, maybe 35 40%? And those are the best and brightest at what they do. And they're failing more than half the time. So why am I going to beat myself up for failing at something that, you know, that I took a shot at? Do you want to know why? Or you just have to? No, it was rhetorical. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. But, That's you know, funny. that old saying, if you ain't growing, you're dying. It's constantly, you know, sometimes... You know, you get this in your head, and you're like, "Oh, what's wrong with me?" It's like nothing. You're human. Yeah. You're a flawed person. You're a sinner. You're you're like everybody else. But you just you, you keep trying to better yourself. So before we before we started, you had you you had mentioned, um, I think it was January twenty first, nineteen ninety one. Did I get that date right? January fifteenth, ninety one. January fifteenth, nineteen ninety one. Right. What was it about that date? That uh, that resonated with you, and why is it a you know why is it a date of significance? January fifteenth, ninety one. I was it was less than a year after my car accident, okay. and I was up in Chicago, and that's when I was at that junior college. Hadn't even started playing baseball yet. I just I mean it was uh, semester just started. It was mid January, and it was cold as hell. I mean January in Illinois and foggy and you know you're driving really slow it's old country roads i was going back to my grandparents they lived out in the country and they canceled classes early they, it was a night class i was taking and they canceled classes early because it was the the eve of when we invaded iraq the first iraq war desert shield or desert storm desert storm, storm. Okay. and they can't they stopped classes early we were all down in the commons area watching it and you know, seeing all the bombs being dropped and all the, you know, yep. look like an Atari game. Sure. And here I was having friends over there, uh, you know, family in the military. And that's my one regret. I, I think about what I would have accomplished if I had that military training. Now I've listened to your podcast, you know, with Tim and some of these other guys, uh, you know, our friend, Mike Sorelli, talked to him and I'm just, I'm like, you know, look what these guys have done. What could I have done if I'd have put that effort I put into baseball and gone through the military and applied myself, given that same effort. But you know, you're, you're a kid, you're coming out of high school, yeah. you, you knew you could play ball and you loved it. I didn't want to stop it. If I was a trust fund baby and somebody would pay me 800 bucks a month, I'd still be playing now. Right. But that was, that was a very surreal night for me. Because yeah. I knew driving through that cold and I'm freezing my ass off, but I knew when I got to my grandparents, the heat was on, whiskey was in the cupboard, and I sat up all night watching that coverage and I just, I felt very empty and guilty that I wasn't over there with those guys. That's a stark contrast from today's generation. Let me, let me, let me go off for about 90 seconds here and then I want to come back to your, what changed. But 
Um, I've heard and personally witnessed people saying that, um, you know, the military is simply just an extension of, of people that they don't trust. Uh, it's, a, it's a political gang. Um, there's there's anti-establishment sentiment. It's kind of a popular thing to have nowadays, right? There's, um, uh, there's people who don't, I, I wouldn't say that they don't appreciate, they just don't trust or understand the significance of, um, you know, of what it's like to, to be on the other side of the country or really the other side of the world uh, from your significant others, your loved ones, people that care about you. Um, and there's also a kind of a lack of consideration for uh, the lives that are lost. They seemingly just add them up like they're, they're just numbers and they don't understand that those are people. Right. And if you go to the, to the Vietnam Wall in, in D.C. D.C., I've been there. That's a name. And you could say that, you know, you could read in retrospect by um, uh, the Department or the Secretary of Defense at the time and talk about how maybe, yeah, things would, would have been different. But that doesn't change the fact that somebody's name, that's somebody's dad, that's somebody's sister, that's somebody's right. uncle. There's a relationship there. And that's just that name. That's not all the people that knew and loved them. So that sentiment of feeling empty, sitting there and watching the, the Gulf War, it had to have brought some significance or at least bring some bring to your attention the importance of decisions you made from that point forward for the rest of your life. So how does that feed into how you make decisions now? That's what I'm curious about. And why is that different than what I just described? Again, you just... The guilt that I, I always have, that I try and get rid of, but I mean, it's just, again, it's human nature. We can't help how you feel. But I realize, and especially talking to you and other, you know, all my friends in the military and getting to know a guy like Mike and learning, I haven't met Tim, but learning more about him and, you know, respect those men and women, respect what they do, respect what they do for you. But I, I had so much guilt that night but now I look back on it, it's like you, you can't feel guilty about that. Everybody's got a role. Yeah. Everybody's got skill sets. Yeah. And it's to me, it's our duty to seek those out and do the very most you can with what God gave you. Because, I mean, not many people have what I have or what you have. I mean, it's there's so many people that are sick. They were born with disabilities. They don't have the ability to go and chase their dreams. We do. Yeah, we live and in the we, greatest country on the planet. I love this country. I, I mean, that flag's up there for a reason. I love it. You know, my family, I come from a military family. My grandfather, his brother would be 17 pilots, World War II. My dad was in, my uncle's in. My brother's an Air Force pilot now, um, complete stud. Uh, but, you know, you get to know Mike and these guys. And it's like, no, we need people here working, creating businesses. Yep. You know, we get, we have to fund these guys. We have to give these men and women the best yeah. so that they can go out there and kick ass like they always do. I mean, you can go drive across the state line without a, somebody sticking an AK-47 in your face. I mean, there was checkpoints every 20, 20 miles. I mean, and and, I, and this is a, that's a different topic, but my point is, is there's, there's different circumstances that are affecting people nationwide. Um, and, but the common thread between all of us is we live, we still live in the freest country on the planet. This, I mean, the freest, greatest country in the history of the world. Yeah. I mean, and, it, it, it's, it's, and real quick though, the reason why I don't have guilt anymore about that is because you talk to these other guys and it's like, hey, you doing what you do. I signed up to do this. You signed up to do that. Yeah. But you respect us. You support us. That's all we ask for. That's it. Um, 
but you know, you just, you respect the right to give somebody a free voice. You know, your, your freedom of speech is a very uh, dicey topic today for some reason. It shouldn't be. The free freedom of speech is, is, is what it is. Ron Paul says that uh, freedom of speech is there to protect unpopular speech because popular speech is it's accepted. But unpopular speech is out there because people can people have the right to go out and say something as, as silly and stupid as they want because they live in the they live in the U.S. Well, and that was the brilliance of our next call. God, that pisses me off so much. You know, there's so many people, and I, I have I have people that I consider good friends, but their attitude is the majority of our founders at one time or another had slaves. Therefore, this is a country built on slavery, and our founders are bad people. And it's like they don't realize, well, our founders didn't invent slavery. You know, that was already here. That was brought over, you know, you know they go over like in the NFL, they go over there and they stand for that national anthem. Slavery was brought to America under British law. Our founders were very, and not to, I'm not condoning it by any means, but you have to put it in context. Our founders were very conflicted with slavery. They knew it wasn't right. They knew it was immoral. It, they knew it had to end. But they just got done fighting a very bloody revolutionary war. It wasn't the time to go about this. But what you never hear about them is, you know, America is one of the first countries to end the slave trade. Um, yeah, were some of our founders alcoholics? Did they sleep with their slaves? Yeah, they weren't perfect. But they had so much power that they could have acquired at that time. If they were racist, this we'd probably still have slavery. Or it'd been a long time before it was abolished. George Washington was he turned down a third term. He said no man should have that kind of power. Our founders, I mean, they studied history, philosophy, other countries, Montesquieu, Plato, Socrates, Aristotle. They could have never foreseen the space shuttle, AK-47, social media, but they knew human nature would never change. Right? You're always gonna have good, you're always gonna have evil, strong, weak. People have to be free to pursue their life's ambitions. And you got you have to have people like you, like Mike, like Tim Kennedy, that will, are willing to go out there and put their lives on the line. Cops every day. Yeah. You know, I mean, is everybody in the military a good person? No. Is every cop a good person? No. But the institution and what it stands for and what it was set up to do is very honorable and very virtuous. And I mean, our founders, that was, I mean, that was the cornerstone of Socratic thinking, was wisdom and virtue. Right. And Madison wrote in the Federalist Papers, Federalist 51, if all men were angels, we'd need no government. If all That's government right. were angels, we'd need no limits placed upon them. That's why they put that system of checks and balances in. Yeah. And they were, I mean, they were brilliant, flawed, alcoholic, whores. Ah, you know, you look at the successful people today that are the same thing. Yeah. But it just pisses me off so much that people, again, human nature, we take our lives for granted. It happens. Yeah. Somebody dies. I just had a, I just had a good friend die a couple weeks ago, my age. Um, and you put your life in perspective then. It's sad that something like that has to happen for you to just, you know, re-engage and go, okay, let's go. Yeah. But show me anywhere in the history of the world where all this, these atrocities weren't going on. They go on today. Yep. America, you know, you hear about that, but you never hear about the millions of lives lost defending freedom, yep. beating down fascism, yep. Nazis. Curving against communism. Mao, Stalin, Marxism, communism. Castro. And yeah, and now there's yeah, people, you know, Ronald Reagan, he gave a speech in 63. He said America, and he was quoting some, I can't remember the guy's name. He ran for president, like maybe the 1920s. Yeah. He said, America will never accept socialism under socialism, but it can be sold to them hook, line, and sinker under the guise of liberalism. Sure. 
And, but now you've got Bernie Sanders, this Acosta, I can't remember, the girl, 28-year-old in New York that just got elected as, she's running as a socialist. And socialism has never worked anywhere in the history of the world for any length of time, especially with a population as large as ours, but they all say the same thing. Oh, we just haven't, we just haven't done it right. And it's like, how many more of our young men and women do we have to send off to battle to die and how many for people? crap that is proven that it doesn't work? So two things. One, uh, Tim was a Green Beret, Special Forces. Mike was a U.S. Navy SEAL, prior U.S. Marine. I was a logistician Marine, so not quite in the same category. Love those guys, but let me delineate just for... No, I've never met statement. Tim, but I, Mike, Mike's both of them are badasses. Both of them are. I can hold my own in most fights. I wouldn't last 10 seconds to be the one of those guys. In a war of words, we might lose. We'll just put it to you that way. So second thing is is um, the, the, the topic of... And, and I think this is probably a good place to, uh, to park here, to be honest with you. Um, it was the, yeah, that's fine. So the, the, the topic of, of socialism um, and really how much, of, how much of that thought process uh, is contrary to free market economics and your desire, your individual capability as an entrepreneur and your ability to then provide jobs for uh, everybody who works at your business. Not to mention the side projects that you had talked about and the opportunities that, that creates for folks. Yeah, I mean, well, what, I mean, well, I mean, it just, it just complete, it just completely asinine to me. Well, uh, it, just, it, it ignores, again, my friend, they had a nickel for every time they heard me say human nature. It ignores human nature. It ignores facts, logic, history. Yeah. It plays to revisionist history sure. and what makes you feel good about yourself. Um, but it's not the real world. Sure. I mean, they, they think we're going to legislate, you know, and I'm, you guys can't tell by this podcast, you know, I'm a pretty conservative guy with libertarian views, sure. but as a conservative, I don't think you can, nor do I think you should, nor would I, if I had the power to legislate morality. Sure. You know, what's moral to you is not moral to me or more to that person. And you know what, if I disagree with the way you're living your life, who gives a damn? Yeah. As long as I'm not in your face insulting you, threatening you. What do you care what I think? Get out of my head. Right. I mean, Kevin Hart's taking shit right now uh, a couple weeks ago because he's not using his status to speak up. And he's basically said, I make movies. I crack jokes. I make people laugh. Yeah. I don't want to get into politics. Sure. So now he's, he's getting beaten down, not for anything he said, but because he's not saying anything. And... I have a handful of books I read multiple times a year. One was written in 1850 by a guy named Alexis de Tocqueville. And he writes, it's which called, one? <laughs> which one is this? It's called Democracy in America. Okay. And he, in, there's a verse in there where he says, basically, eventually the people become a timid flock of sheep to where government is their shepherd. And I see, and I don't blame the kids today. It's our generation that's raising them. Yeah. You know, participation trophies. Well, you don't get those in the real world. No, you, don't. you don't produce, you get fired. Right. Unless you get a government job and you're a politician and you can screw up all you want and point the finger and blame everybody else, get reelected. Yeah. But it's not the real world and it's not fair. Yeah. I mean, I love the movie, Remember the Titans. I've seen in there where Denzel's telling the boys you need a coat and tie for camp. Yeah. If you don't have one, buy one. If you can't afford one, or what did he say? If you don't have one, buy one. If you can't afford one, borrow one from your old man. If you don't have an old man, find a bum on the street and take his. Yeah. Get it done. It's, I mean, we live in a no-bullshit kind of world, but we're, we're conditioning these kids to where any kind of adversity hits them, and it's like the end of the world. 
And I've had, you know, I'm human. I, I get my little pity parties, but they're short-lived. And then you get back to kicking ass because you realize, hey, you're you're healthy, you're strong. Yeah. There's nothing holding you back except up here. Sure. And then you just get back to it. Yeah. But they think the end of the world. And it's like, no, this is a good thing. Yeah. All that money I lost is a good thing. Yeah. I don't know an ex I don't know any rich people that didn't lose money on deals along the way. And then I, I got that in my head. I'm like, oh shit, this is good. Yeah. This is just this is part of the blueprint for success. So you just you just keep going, you keep going, you keep going. But I, I, I fear what's happening because I, the talent is still there. I just I don't know if, if this is here anymore. Of course it is. Of course it is. And and to, to recognize that to recognize that there's a Greatest principle still applies, right? All it takes is a few clicks and things completely can change, right? Nobody thought that we would have the president that we do have today, right? And nobody thought that, um, you know, 9-11 would take place the way that it did and, right. and create this post 9-11 uh, veteran that is out there. It's a little bit different. We are a little bit different, but that's okay. Um, and new media and being able to walk around with a, a device in your pocket and tap a piece of glass and get access to information anywhere in the world. Who saw that coming? Now, now, I mean, Encyclopedia Botanica, they used to be sold door to door, right? right? I mean, that's how information was disseminated, but now it's completely different. So, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of lessons that, that go into entrepreneurship and, and a lot of lessons that come from sports. There's a lot of lessons that come from failure. So summarize in, in one, you know, in one quick snippet, uh, what was the biggest thing? Taught you that what was the biggest thing that taught you that you were going to be a success? What was the one thing that you can essentially isolate to say that you know I'm probably the car wreck, really? Because I was I just turned 19 and you know was still not sure what was going on, certainly like most 19 year old kids don't, but it was just at that moment, you know, baseball was at least temporarily taken away from me. And it was at that moment, it's like, okay, you got one of two choices. You know, you can let this define you and let it beat you down and then you're really screwed. Or you can address it, kick it in the ass, move forward. You're not dead. You didn't, you know, I didn't lose a limb. It's not like I can still walk. I can still talk. I mean, just use it. I mean, it's, it is, I, I, I kind of hate the saying, but it's true. It is what it is. It is what it is. You know, deal with it. Yeah. Or let it deal with you. But either way, you know, it's kind of funny because my, my oldest sister, when she had her first baby, I, Jennifer, I love you to death, but she's somewhat of a hypochondriac. And just, she literally, I wasn't there, but I was told, she literally started when she was in labor. She literally was trying to get up off the bed and leave the room and say, I can't do this. <laughs> you can do it here. You can do it somewhere else in the hallway. That's I don't right. care. But th exactly. this baby's coming. And that's, that's life. Life is going to keep coming at you all the time. How are you going to deal with it? To me, I think people get, if I could just get to this, if I can just get to that. And it's like, you're creating a scenario where you don't have to think anymore. And you know what they say? Weeds grow naturally. So you have to keep moving on because if you're just stationary, those weeds are growing up underneath you. That's exactly right. And exactly they're a bitch to get rid of. And the longer you let them sit there, the harder they are to get rid of. And the bigger they get. And, the yeah. idea. and they're ugly. Yeah, they are. Um, <laughs> they are. But let's um, let's end there. I think that that's a good. I mean, we'll have to have you back on again for a couple of reasons. We can talk about some stuff. You sound like you got something you want to say. So. Oh no, so I'll um, come back. This has been great. How many times you get to? There's that time. I was gonna say, how many times you get to sit with a buddy, smoke cigars, have some whiskey? 
and, and talk cold about beer and, and talk, talk about, about life and it's what you've learned and hopefully you know hopefully this helps people i know there's how can other people, podcasts i've listened to yours and i mean it's helped me so i'm hoping i'm helping somebody else out there well there's no question it will right it's just a matter of how they want to apply it and go do it there's no question everybody's got a story to tell and everybody's got something to learn from somebody's story mm -hmm. it's just getting in and getting that message to set, getting that message out there so how can people find you what, what are this is this is your opportunity to plug Sean Bussey. This is this is find me at Instagram, okay. Sean Bussey, S E A N B U S S E. Okay. Same thing on Facebook. Um, I will be putting out more things as the TV show comes along. I'm working on developing another show. I've talked to you a little bit about. We're just okay. trying to get it just right so I can take it to different people I know and pitch it. And uh, you know I can. Tim Kennedy, don't kick my ass, but I kind of mimic a lot of stuff that you do. <laughs> Try to in the gym. They, they, oh my God, that guy's a beast in the gym watching him. But um, yeah, there's other people that I look up to and I see what they're doing and, you know, kind of the show that I want to build and what I, I, I just, I love this country. I love it so much. I thank God every day I was born when I was, where I was, to who I was, my family, my friends, um, my worst days. I thank God to be an American and all the opportunities we have here. So I think people like you, um, anybody who's ever been in the military, or cops, firemen, first responders that protect us every day. Um, I get a little nerdy when it comes to that, but I love all you guys. I love all the men and women that do what you guys do. You read you read a book from the 1850s um, three times a year, or whatever whatever it was. So yeah, I can understand that. It's okay. It's all good, man. You well, if, if my if my buddy Brad were here, he gives me a lot of shit because you know, and your wife caught me too. What's that? I, listening to you know a book on tape book on tape like in the gym and she's like you're supposed to be in here motivated you're listening to democracy in america <laughs> why, why, why are you reading the communist why are you listening to the communist manifesto she that's <laughs> she it's funny she's awesome my, my wife is incredible there's no question about it but she is very good at calling people out i will put it to you that way no your uh, wife your wife is a badass she's i agree she's great i like uh you she's, know she's uh she's a she's a she's an ass kicker i'll tell you that well you're yeah. awesome but she's definitely your better half there's no question about that. I'm like, no argument. Happy wife, happy life. <laughs> uh, so listen, uh, that is uh, that is a wrap. I mean, Sean, is, it's been awesome. Uh, we appreciate your appreciate your time. Thanks for having me, Absolutely. brother. Can't wait to come back anytime. Yeah, for sure. Enjoyed hey, it. Listen, this is your opportunity to, if you're out there struggling with some stuff, uh, to just reach down and grab yourself by the ball sack. If you ain't got one of those, then reach down and grab what's inside of you, your intestinal fortitude, and don't be bad. Right, go out and get some wins. Set some iterative steps for you to get out of the current set of circumstances that you're in right now. We appreciate uh, we appreciate Sean the time that he's spent here today. That's awesome. And uh, go out there and get some wins. Make it happen, guys. You can always listen to Knucklehead Podcast uh, on uh, iTunes, or you can listen on your favorite podcast listening app. This is a quick plug for my buddy uh, Nick Ripplinger. He owns a company called Battlesite Technologies out of Ohio. Uh, but he wrote this book, Frontline Leadership, and he actually gave this to my wife not too long ago. And I was just rereading it again. And uh, it's a good one. If you want to, if you really want to take some practical application of things that you learned whenever you were in the military and, and apply it forward in either your business or your life now, this is literally like a like a step-by-step -step guide on how you can do that. There's plenty of books that are out there. And there's 44,000 veteran transition organizations that are out there. So you can get lost in the sauce pretty quickly with the access to the information that we have. Just go out there and, and start start reading. Go out there and, and start accessing information. And you'll eventually find what you're looking for. So we appreciate you. Sean, we appreciate you. Thank you. Talk to you soon, guys. Take care.